Welcome to the What's Next podcast with Tiffany Bova. Tiffany is a top-rated speaker, thought leader, and sales and marketing influencer known around the world as an industry visionary. Today, she's using her 20 years of sales experience to help companies focus on creating a high-growth culture while adapting to the new realities of the market. She's always asking herself, what's next? Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to my What's Next podcast. Well, I am super thrilled to have Bill Messiahist on my podcast today for a couple of reasons. One, because as many of you know, I call myself a recovering seller. And I'm going to coin Bill as being a recovering marketer because he used to be. uh, He served as the go-to-market executive for three of the fastest ever-growing SaaS companies, Slack, Zendesk, and Salesforce. He has achieved five exits over his career, and now he enjoys helping other companies achieve hypergrowth by leveraging his cumulative knowledge and helping build best-in-breed go-to-market playbooks and teams. Welcome, Bill, to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Tiffany. Well, I like to play on that, you know, so, you know, the battle between sales and marketers. Um, it's a fun one, I might add. And it's one I, I have a lot of uh, good times with, with, with ex-CMOs. Uh, but you've actually been both a CMO and a CRO. So yeah. you're kind of the hybrid of, you know, which way do you fall? But I'm not going to let you answer that yet. I'm going to start <laughs> out with my bullish and bearish questions, uh, because then I think we might figure it out that way. All right. So it's going to be painless. Uh, Just three quick questions and you can answer bullish and bearish uh, and we'll get started there. You ready? I'm ready. All right. First one, marketing should carry a quota. Yes. All right. I'm with you. All right. The next one, once again, in the spirit of our friendship. All right. (laughs) <laughs> Artificial intelligence will replace marketers. No. <laughs> the only reason why I picked that one is because everybody says AI is going to replace sellers. So I, I had to <laughs> I had to play it back. All right. So you say no. Okay. We're, see, we're seeing where you're leaning, Bill. All we're right. seeing where you're leaning. All right. It's all good. All right. all right. Next is CMOs make better CEOs than CROs. Oh, uh, I'd probably be neutral on that one. I don't know. It has to come down to the person. All right. Fair enough. I'll let you get away with one. All right. <laughs> yeah. One of three. I, I, can, I can go in the middle. Yeah, you can go in the middle. That's all right. So, so let me start with the, you know, with the obvious. I think, yeah, yeah. I think your perspective on sort of marketing, sales is unique because uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of us, but you know, being a practicing seller and marketer and then sort of, you know, advising gives you a unique perspective. So especially with your experience in those three companies. So, you know, over the last two or three years, I'm really interested. What what do you think has shifted significantly that you that surprised you between sort of marketing and, you know, head of sales, although it could be a CRO, right? What what is something that has surprised you? I think there's been a resurgence uh, along the lines of really thinking about what the customer journey looks like. Um, you know, for a long time, I think sales and marketing were so separated out that they were giving completely disjointed experiences uh, to to that end buyer. And I think what's happening a lot is even in my my role of Slack, I, I was a CRO, but I was really I was in charge of all the customer facing teams. 
And I think that was a really unique perspective that allowed us to give a, a unified, consistent experience across all the teams. Um, and, and I think you're starting to see that trend happen more and more as, as companies realize how important having healthy, organic word of mouth um, recommendations is to, to scaling your business. Yeah, with the disc, disc, uh, disjointed experiences, yeah, and and the fact that you had all of them, you know, I've also noticed the the conversation starting to include not just sales and marketing, right, but customer service, which you just called out. Yeah. I'd say yeah. that's significantly different. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the customer facing teams. It's it's like I actually it was sales, marketing, and then actual managed uh, customer success and customer support, and I think that. The, the support side of the equation is, you know, really one of the, the largest experiences that people, that people often have with your brand. And, you know, if you maybe take a step back, I, I've always been a believer that, you know, the brand is the sum of every single experience that a customer has with you. And, and that really extends beyond just the product. That's, you know, their interactions with marketing, the website, their interactions with sales. But, you know, when they have trouble and they need support, you know, it's those experiences too. And so I think, you know, reimagining like how these teams work together, you know, how they're incentivized, how they're metriced, um, so that you can deliver consistent, delightful experiences, I think is a really great way to ensure that you're going to have a strong, healthy, organic uh, base. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I often joke with marketers when they say, um, and I'm not saying you're in this camp, but you may be, yeah. that, that people will say customer experience, who owns it? Marketers yeah. usually say, we do, right? Regardless yeah. of whose survey, it's like, well, we own customer experience. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very bearish on that. Yeah. Um, I'm not bullish on it at all. Uh, <laughs> because when a, when a customer has a problem to the point you just said, they don't go, you know what? I'm going to call the product marketing manager who came up with the campaign who got me to call in. Yeah. Yeah. Say, right. Yeah. And so what do you think about that ownership? And I say that in quotes because I, I, I believe that everybody owns it, but I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah. I, I'd say, you know, I, I would argue the CEO owns it, right? The CEO owns the end to end customer journey and, and that's going to go across multiple teams. I would argue every team within a company, you know, regardless if that's marketing, sales, legal, support, product, design, you know, all those little micro touch points are what's going to impact that customer's experience. Now, I, I think it's really interesting. There's a separate side discussion that I think a lot of the current metrics, uh, you mentioned earlier quota. I couldn't really expand on those, those quick uh, <laughs> shot questions you had. But quota, um, I think ARR leads, you know, a lot of times very traditional SaaS funnel metrics, I think sometimes actually incentivize non-customer friendly behavior. You know, if you think about it, marketing is usually judged by leads. Well, of course, you're going to put a form in front of everything. You know, if sales is only purely judged on how much they sell, they're going to oversell, they're going to overpromise, they're going to put you on plans you don't need, you're going to sell customers that aren't good fits for the product. Um, you know, if support is purely judged as a cost center, of course, you're going to outsource it. You're going to answer uh, as many questions as you can as quickly as you can. Um, you know, if, if success is only judged on how much more they sell, uh, to existing uh, customers, then of course they're you're basically your pirate salespeople for customer success. Not really people are going to help you educate and and use the product and and get better at it. So um, I I think a lot of times you know companies say, hey, we want to be awesome and we're about the customer and the success, but yet they'll incentivize all of their customer facing teams with non customer uh, centric uh, metrics and 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 that causes a lot of pain. 
um, within that overall journey. Yeah, and I think it's actually even worse in the fact that they may be non-customer centric. So I, I agree with you. And then I'm going to ask you after I make this statement, what do you think it should be? But it's non-customer centric, one, two, but they're also not the same, right? So sales is, yeah, and sure. I'm oversimplifying, right? Sales is, how much did you sell today? Once again, I'm oversimplifying. Yeah. Marketing yeah. is, how many leads did you drive? Yeah. And customer services, how fast did you get to first time resolution, right? And let's just say that's their number one metric. So you could argue that's customer facing a little bit, but the problem is, yeah. is that those three things run those three teams in very different directions. Totally. Yeah. Right? I mean... It's one of the reasons I think when you asked that original question, you know, should marketing share a quota? I, I, if I could, if I would have expanded on that, I would have said that I think it's really good for marketing, sales, uh, all the customer-facing teams to have shared metrics. Um, now, I, I, you can make a, you know, you can make an argument quota should be part of that, um, but I do think, uh, and maybe we're going with the next question is, you know, what should these customer-facing metrics be? Right. And you know, I, I think in a lot of ways there are really solid, great customer-centric type metrics out there. So I, I think, you know, an overall one for the entire company, I think is NPS, you know, very consistent. It's easy to benchmark. It's really easy to understand how you're doing. You know, I'm, I'm always surprised by the number of CEOs I run into that don't know the top three reasons their company gets recommended, you know, or, or conversely, the top three reasons they're not. It's really easy to tease that out of NPS data. Um, but as far as, you know, specific functional teams, I think you can really look at more transactional CSAT data across that buyer's lifecycle. So for instance, one of the things we did at uh, Slack was after someone had finished buying from us, we would survey uh, the, those, those buyers and we'd say, hey, you know, you're working with Kate, um, your account executive, you know, how, how, how responsive was she? You know, how, how knowledgeable on the product was she? How, how courteous was she to you? Um, you know, we would go through a lot of these softer, more experienced types metrics. And, you know, we would look not just how much did the salesperson sell, but how good was that interaction? You know, we would do the same type of surveys after a customer success engagement. For uh, support, we would ask people, hey, you know, not just did you get your issue solved, but, um, you know, did, did they help you out? You know, were they, were they responsive? Were they knowledgeable? Um, we would actually go back and score all of our customer support tickets uh, retroactively by our own internal team and say, hey, did they live up to the core values of Slack? Th was this response, was it courteous? Was it... Um, did it have empathy in it? You know, was it, did it have craftsmanship? In other words, did they know what they were talking about? Um, I think that's really important. I think like even on something like, you know, marketing usually owns the front end website, you know, well, hey, there's tons of good tools out there that can, you know, ask people coming in, did they find out what they were looking for? Um, I, I know, you know, at Salesforce for a long time, we used uh, Opinion Lab and it was really interesting. Like we would consistently see it. One of the things people hated the most was, you know, back in the day we would gate um, just, the, the basic video demo that would explain what Salesforce was. And, and, and people hated that, right? They're like, I just want to see what it is. Um, but I understand why, you know, you know, for, for really for all the companies out there, right? If, if you're metric purely on leads, you're, you're going to gate everything. Um, so it, it's, it, it's a really tough one. And I think a lot of the companies in this space, you know, are dealing with the, the detriments of that and that maybe you do get those short-term leads, maybe you do sell them, but you know, you're not minting out really happy customers. You're minting out passives at best and detractors at worst. Um, and, and you're not minting out promoters that are going to really help your brand grow scalably and efficiently. And so if, if going back to that example, uh, where you're looking back at a particular ticket and how a employee, you know, a, a customer success person 
um, delivered on the promise and the values of the company. Do you change uh, compensation based on that in any way? Or yeah. is it so how, how would you tie those things together? So I, I think it's a really fascinating discussion, right? Just around, you know, first off, the, this conversation around like, what should the right metrics be for teams, right? And let's separate that from pay for, for, the, for the moment and just go, hey, you know, are there, are there ways to challenge maybe what the traditional metrics have been used to help incentivize teams? Because, you know, essentially people are, they're incentivized, you know, if you tell them you're going to pay you based on this much, they're going to move to it and whatever that metric is. So I think there's one thing just saying, like, what are the right metrics? I think there's a lot of interesting ones you could do. We also use like the average NPS score for certain accounts for AEs, but there's, there's lots of interesting ones you can find there, right? Now, I think the second part of that question is, all right, we found out like maybe we're going to change to some of these customer centric type metrics. Can we actually change people's um, pay based on it? Right um, now you could still say, Hey, we're still going to have like a marketing person and we're going to pay them a set amount per year, but you could still have at the end of the year, we're going to start judging on some of these customer facing type metrics. And, you know, we're going to decide that if you get, you know, promoted or fired, or if you get a nice bump in your annual salary, um, or you could even start moving to variable comp, right? Um, like most salespeople have today and thinking about like, what is base? What is bonus? Um, maybe you have uh, share team goals. Maybe you say, hey, as a company, if we had an 80 NPS score, everybody gets a $10,000 bonus or gets a week off, right? I think there's lots of ways you can tie in variable comp. But um, I, you know, I, for, for me, it helps to just separate out those two concepts of, well, what are the right metrics to incentivize these teams? And then do we even want to incentivize that further by tying variable pay or bonus pay um, to them, to the success of achieving those metrics. Yeah, I think you know we've done a bunch of well, I've done a bunch of research in my past life. Uh, obviously, when I was with Gartner and and now at, as I'm with Salesforce, and you know, customer experience is sort of bubbled to the top of the metric across sales, service, and marketing. But what people will say to me behind that is that sounds great. You know, is it just net promoter score? Because as an individual quota bearing sales rep, I understand at the executive level. Right. But when you get to an individual contributor and they're like, look, you know, how do I on a day to day basis impact MPS and and seeing their actions actually play out and have impact on something like that day to day, they have to understand why. Right. Why it's happening. Have you done something in, in one of the past three places, you know, that have allowed you to to really bring it home for the people that are on the front lines? Yeah, I, I think. First off, it helps if you're going to go down the NPS path. I think it really helps to one not just ask the NPS question, which is how likely are you to recommend you know company X to your friend or colleague uh, score one to ten, but also the follow up. The, the more important question is why, right? Like right. the why question gives you tons of actionable insight to understand. Um, you know, why people are recommending you, what they love about your company, what they don't like. Now, I, I don't think, and I, I've tried using NPS in more of a transactional sense. In other words, like, hey, after someone finished the trial at Zendesk, we used to send them the NPS question. And, and people got really confused by it. They're like, well, I haven't even started using the product yet, or I'm a little unsure, or I don't know if I'd recommend to a colleague because it's still early. Um, in, in, in my experience, it's not a good question to ask at a transactional level, but you can ask very specific um, transactional, more just CSAT type questions. You know, how was your experience after the trial? Did you find what you were looking for? Were you able to get in there? You know, how good was your buying experience? How good was, you know, working with a salesperson? Um, so I, I think that tends to give like that data and those metrics 
tend to give really good actionable insights and can help incentivize teams at a more granular level. Um, the other thing with the NPS is, I, I agree, like in, in aggregate, it's hard for one person to say, look, my action is going to impact this NPS score um, or, or even the company's NPS score. But I think sometimes what we did in the past too is we would say, all right, well, if you're an AE, like let's look at the average NPS scores of your accounts. Like if you're way off of everyone else, either like way above, well, you're doing something really special here. Like you're you're not only bringing people that are really good fits, but you're you know you're helping them on. You're you're onboarding. They feel great about it. Um, or or conversely, if every one of your NPS scores of your account you're bringing in is like really low, like what's happening? Are you, are you selling people that just aren't good fits? Right. Are you promising them features that we don't have yet? Um, are you putting them on the wrong plans? Like why do they have? Why are they scoring so low? And, and I think there are you know there are ways there to maybe try to incentivize the the right behavior for the long run. So I'm going to pivot a bit because I think that was great. I think metrics is a big one that I get asked about a lot, and I also think that this kind of unknown of navigating this unknown of of having customer experience be such a high topic, if you will, uh, yeah. amongst all groups that that how do you actually action that is important. So thank you, thank you for those insights. Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit on this disconnection of teams because it's it's something that uh, I've been talking about a lot and I'd love to get your perspective as well that unless you're the executive that owns sales and marketing and you have the conversation yeah. with yourself right about how you don't get along that that's a little different but if you have <laughs> if you have at the executive layer that you know the chief marketing officer the head of sales and the head of customer service are aligned because they're executives right? meaning that they're compensated probably against performance of the whole company. Let's give that as an example. But when you get down to the middle management layer of, you know, I'm in charge of hitting quota, I'm in charge of, you know, marketing campaigns, and I'm in charge of, you know, customer service calls. What have you seen that's gotten uh, besides sort of aligning metrics? Because I think that's part of it, but you have a cultural issue to uh, opportunity too. So at the middle management layer, which I think are the workhorses of businesses, what do you think they can do, or you know, our listeners that run those groups and teams and and are in middle management, what can they do Monday morning to improve that disconnection? Yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough situation, you know. And I I think a lot of what happens too is you know, there's been a lot of studies on like the first hundred employees they tend to act in the best interest of the company, and once you pass a certain threshold, you really just start to act for your individual. Um, incentives, you know, for your own economic interest. Um, and, and, and that makes it even harder, right? And then you have like, all right, these growing companies where sales and marketing no longer sit by each other, you know, or marketing and product are, you know, in, in different, uh, not even different floors, different offices, different cities, different continents, right? Uh, and, and that just exasperates it because I think, you know, you, you normally have teams that sit by each other. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of like interesting ways you can try to try to try to uh, resolve that. I mean, one that I've experienced with is you do mixed seating, you know, you, you organize more by business units. So you have sales, marketing, product, all sitting right by each other versus more by functional right. alignment. I think that's an interesting one. I think we talked a little bit about before, but having like an overall company bonus based on a shared goal is really important. Um, I think sales and marketing, and maybe in this case, uh, sharing, sharing goals are really important. Um, I, I do think even the basic communications, I mean, you know, coming from Slack, uh, 
you know, I still drink a little of the Kool-Aid there, but one of the things was it was great because we had these open channels where you could go in and I could see exactly what was happening in sales and sales people could go in and see what's happening in marketing and marketing people could go in and see to the product channel and see was, you know, what they were working on. Um, it was a much more transparent type uh, situation than I think email. Email is inherently opaque. Um, the minute someone leaves, it goes away. You don't have any of the institutional knowledge. So I, I think like the base communication technology using makes a big difference. Um, I think just having like regular meetings. I mean, it sounds so simple, but yeah, like meet with your counterparts. <laughs> if you're in marketing, you should be meeting regularly with your sales folks and your product folks, right? And, and every, in, every team at a company has like internal stakeholders that they're servicing or that they're helping out. I think it's really good to... Um, you know, to have those regular meetings or even, I mean, I know we're going back to the metrics, but another one that I loved was uh, we would do internal stakeholder surveys. So in other words, if you were marketing, we would ask the sales team, hey, how much are we helping you guys out? How much value are we delivering? You know, and, and I think that's good to almost have an internal customer uh, stakeholder type relationship. So I think all those things can can help out. I mean, I think the biggest thing is you just have to say, like, recognize, like, look, this can become very siloed and we can have disconnects if we don't try to get ahead of it. Yeah, and I, I I have to tell you that I you know I gave a presentation one time to a room full of marketers, and I and I'd say it's probably I mean it happened a lot, but on this one particular day, it was probably 200, 250 people in the room, um, and so I always do the how many of you in the room are marketers, and in this particular presentation, it was probably ninety five percent marketers, and then I said you know how many of you in the room are salespeople, and then you know the rest were sort of salespeople, which is always fun for me because then I can pick a little bit on. <laughs> Yeah. Pick a little bit on the marketers. <laughs> and, and while I understand both, it's, it's sort of, it's fun for me. So I, I t always take the opportunity. Yeah, but so yeah, I ask totally. the question, how many of you in the room have gone on a sales call in the last 30 days? And a couple of hands went up. And then I said, in the, next, the last 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. Needless to say, by the time I got to, you know, whatever, six months, you got kind of three quarters of the room, right? And I'm like, okay, I don't know how you can create campaigns and create PowerPoint presentations and demos and leave behinds and slick and all those things. If you're not hearing in real time, one, if they're even working, two, if your sales reps are even using them, because having been a sales rep, there's been many a time where I didn't use the canned pitch deck, right? Uh, for lots of reasons. But then I said, if you go on a sales call, I actually don't want you to go, hi, you know, my name's Tiffany and I'm from marketing. I want you to say, hi, my name is Tiffany and I'm a new hire. For, and I'm shadowing sales. Yeah. And it was really fascinating to me that marketers don't actually, so the fact that you were saying, you know, sit next to each other, change chairs, you know, that kind of thing, but getting out of the office and actually meeting with customers and not making those decisions based on surveys. Have you seen that work? Yeah, I think it's an awesome point that you bring up, Tiffany. And and I think a lot of marketing teams, I, I'd even argue a lot of product teams fall into that. I don't know if you call it a rut, but you just you don't have any customer facing interactions. You know, you don't see them face to face. You don't. You're not talking to people, um, and, and that can definitely happen. Um, I, I found like one antidote for that that actually works pretty well is uh, just doing a lot of field events. You know, having a you know a, a customer um, conference, having a regional conference, having just mini meetups. You know, they allow both all these cross-functional teams, you know, legal product marketing that maybe doesn't 
have an opportunity to to sit down and and talk with with customers, they have an opportunity to do that and 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 really be able to empathize it and put it put themselves in their shoes. I I do think at the same time I agree with you. Like being on sales calls, shadowing them, being on them, you know, participating. We used to do at Slack. We did a lot of uh, EBC, so executive briefing centers, and I thought that was an excellent opportunity where you're just bringing in customer after customer, and it's great for people within these different teams to be able to, you know, see them and talk to these customers in, in the real life versus just relying on, like you said, kind of more sterile um, survey data. Yeah. And I think, so then the challenge becomes, okay, I've gone on, you know, a dozen or so sales calls. I'm a marketer, right? I've gone on a dozen or so sales calls and wow, our pitch deck isn't getting used. Yeah. So using this as an example, right? I think we yeah. should change it or maybe kill it or do something else, right? And then I'm a, remember I'm a middle-level marketing manager. And then I say, okay, I'm going to poke my head up and be like, you know, listen, I've gone on, you know, all of these sales calls and I have this new appreciation for the difficulty. Let's just you know, say something nice, right? I have a new appreciation yeah. for the difficulties that salespeople <laughs> face every day, right? I think we should change this a little bit. And upstream goes, oh no, you know, that's the way we've always done it. So you have a marketing manager who really starts to get it and, and even shift their own thinking, but they face resistance. What would you give that marketer for advice if, if they face that issue? Oh man, I mean, that AA would feel really sad for that marketing manager because that means they have leadership that isn't really customer centric. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think everybody's going to have their own causes that they need to evangelize and they need to be, you know, the proponents for bringing in change. And I mean, half of, you know, corporation is just change management. You know, it's getting people to do things they're a little uncomfortable with, changing how they've always done it, but hopefully doing it in a better way. Um, I mean, I think the more you can, you know, push an initiative and you can tie it back to the company's mission or the core values, I, I think I think that's a great way to push it through. Um, I think maybe recording some of those calls and, and showing it to your superiors, your managers, your leaders, um, having them see that actionable, like real life testimonials, quotes, like the recordings, like they can start to understand that, yeah, maybe that pitch deck we made a long time ago isn't resonating and maybe people are using different versions and now our brand's not consistent. You know, if you're marketing, you should be concerned about that, right? Like, do you have the consistency in your brand? Is there, is there a clear narrative? Are you really articulating what the core value proposition is? Um, in the ideal world, you know, marketing would love, they want to know that, right? And they want to improve on that. So, you know, hopefully uh, that would work. And, and if that doesn't work, go somewhere else, you know, go to a company that that does embrace a, a customer centric approach. Um, you know, it's probably a good warning sign. <laughs> probably not things are going to be good happening at that company if they're not willing to adjust their pitch deck um, based off real life customer feedback. So I, I don't know, that, that's how I tackle it. Yeah. And so what about in the what about in the reverse? So now I'm a salesperson. And what do you think that it is that they don't appreciate and understand from a marketer's perspective? Oh, I think, let's see. One thing that comes up is that generally sales gets segmented very early, right? So sales teams will get split up by geo, region, by segments, by vertical, by industry. Um, and, and, and a lot of times there's a very good reason for that, right? They need to have the, the proper domain expertise to sell into that. If you're selling into government, a lot of times there's a lot of nuanced, you know, history regulations that you just have to be aware of. Um, but 
if you look at on the flip side of that coin, marketing generally doesn't get split up that much. Like it's very hard to split up marketing that way, at least initially, because marketing has a lot of specialization of it. You have people that are just content marketers. You have people that are just uh, PR. You have people that just do um, growth hacking, or you have people that just do design, right? So it's not easy to split everyone in the marketing team because usually marketing is a fraction of the size of sales, and they can't split up by segments. So, anyways, what ends up happening in that situation is. Um, there are obviously marketing, you know, you always say there's a lot of mouths to feed, you know, you have a lot of salespeople, they need to get a lot of leads, they need to scale. But invariably, in my experience, like one, one of the sales teams is just never happy, right? Because one segment just isn't hitting their goals, you may have, you may have split it up. So there's 20 different segment geos, regions, products, and 19 of them are doing great, but one of them just isn't doing well. Um, and a lot of times there's just this, you know, massive, what, what's going wrong with this one? What's happening? You know, and who knows if it's seasonality, if, if more funds need to be spent there or more time and energy. But I would say, you know, for, if you're a salesperson, be a little empathetic to that. Just realize that, you know, marketing is trying to manage almost like a portfolio of all these different regions, segments, products, um, areas, um, you know, and in general, they're you know they're doing the best they can, but you know, usually one of them is is just not going to be hitting their hitting their goal. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> this has been this has been <laughs> awesome for all kinds of reasons, right? I just enjoy. We could go on for hours, and I know that we don't have that much time. But hopefully, you know, it was uh, it was interesting for everybody listening to the podcast to kind of hear from both sides of the fence, right? A marketer and the challenges uh, on that front, and then on the sales front and customer service. And and I think customer service is one area that both marketing and sales could do a much better job in remembering that about enabling them to be equally as successful and educated when they're on the phone dealing with a customer problem, which is normally that there's an issue, which means. You know, they're trying to yeah. get the customer back into you know a positive mindset about the brand. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, fantastic. You know, Bill, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And sort of my last question for you is, you know, as it relates to, you can do it either way, right? Do one for sales, marketing, or customer service, or customer success. Sort of, what's next for leaders that should be keeping top of mind as they get ready for uh, the new year that's upon us. Oh, I mean, I, I would just say, hey, you know, if you're a leader, um, bring the banner of customer centricity to your organization. It, it's going to help you so much in the long run. You know, this idea that every experience counts. You know, I, I know a lot of things we talked about are very uh, hearsay, her, her, heretics. I don't know that words. It's 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 unconventional, right? It's it's uh, it's a lot of. Uh, different metrics, different approach to it. But um, I found like when you have an organization that really rallies behind this idea of customer centricity um, and optimizing the experiences at every stage, you just, you, you're minting out like just promoter after promoter who's telling you, who's, who's spreading the great words of your company to 20, 30 people at a time, right? And, and that's how you achieve like this crazy hyper growth. So you know, that, that, that's the philosophy I use. Um, when I talk to my clients now, I mean, I, I do full time, I do advising to other startups and um, help them with their go to market and their marketing playbooks. And it always comes back to that, like, how can we build a sophisticated, scalable marketing engine, but also one that that's customer centric, you know, and that's treating people how, how you'd want to be treated. So um, that, that, that's probably what I'd say is that maybe a, a, a good focus area for 2018 for a lot of the, the people out there. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you again, Bill. 
you know, from one recovering seller, I guess, to another. Uh, I so appreciate your time and spending with, with us today on the What's Next podcast. And I look forward to hearing all the great things you accomplished in 2018. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Tiffany. That was great. I can't tell you how awesome it was to have someone on the What's Next podcast who was equally passionate about both sales and marketing and customer services. I am. It was a fantastic conversation weaving through how to measure and incentivize teams and people and individual contributors, how to get teams to work together more efficiently and effectively, and more important, really driving customer-friendly metrics throughout the organization. It starts at the top. It requires everybody to get on board. And if you start to build that customer centricity and customer focus into your organization, don't forget about enabling your middle managers to do what's best for the employee as well as for the customer. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please subscribe to the What's Next podcast, leave a review. I'll look forward to seeing you again next time. Have a great day.